is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this is episode one of season two. I'm so excited. Coming at you in early December, and I think this is the perfect time to start season two because, um, because of the topic of this episode, which is the most artistic month of the year. And that's December. And I want to talk about that because I think a lot of people don't think of December as being artistic. And I think that they should, or at least consider it. And I want to talk about um, some stories about why. And I think that the stories aren't just relevant to, you know, the holidays or December um, as a calendar location, but also this story in today's episode is relevant to where we are in a sort of a larger timeline with the pandemic and with all of this social and political unrest. And it's a really crunchy time for a lot of people. And, and the story is relevant to that too. So (laughs) before I dive in, this episode is sponsored by the card, card making for comfort workshop session that we are releasing here the third weekend of December on the Saturday. The date's failing me, but it's going to (laughs) be in the show notes. You can check it out. Um, We are releasing a card making workshop like no other holiday card making workshop you may or may not have done specifically because this card making workshop, like our drawing series that we're in the middle of right now, is designed for your comfort, your well-being, your mindfulness as a priority, as its main function. So you may end up leaving with some beautiful holiday cards that you end up sending to friends and family, or you may not, but I guarantee that you will leave the workshop feeling calmer, feeling more relaxed, feeling more at home in your skin, because art at its core is designed to do that. And the tools and techniques that we will be learning about are ones that I have discovered over years working with preschool to adults. We are wired to make art for comfort. I get this feedback from students all the time, which is how familiar it feels to make stuff this way. Um... And the reason it feels familiar is because we're wired on a pretty primal level to make things for our own comfort. It's why we make stuff when we're really, really little. Two, three, four, five-year-olds. When they make things, it's not to sell it. It's not to get an award. It's not to impress their parents. It is to bring them home to themselves. It's to regulate their nervous system. Um, It's to feel good on a physiological and psychological level. It's just that they don't look at it that way. <laughs> and that's how primal it is. They just know how to do art that way. And when I say art, sometimes I mean, yeah, like a four-year-old drawing or painting. Absolutely. But there's hundreds of ways that we as little kids made stuff for our own comfort. Digging in the dirt, building things with blocks, right? There's so many things. And so when I'm talking about doing things for comfort, you don't necessarily have to identify as a painter or a sculptor to be to have access to this type of making. Um, so 
there is going to be information, information, info, um, in the show notes about this series, if you're interested in learning more, as well as at my website, beccajborelli.com, or just my last name, B-O-R-R-E-L dot L-I, as well as in the bio of our Instagram, okay? Um, I want to talk about an unlikely topic for this podcast, and that is religion, <laughs> and science. And before I dive into the story today, um, I wanted to give that disclaimer because religion especially is a crunchy thing for a lot of people, as it should be. Um, Religion, especially dogma, has been the cause of a lot of pain and violence and destruction in the history of our world. And so this episode is going to reference religion, but not be religious. (laughs) And I want to talk about December and the Christmas season and the holiday season and some of the religious connections as they relate to making art. Um, And so... And so that's for the for the non-religious folks, there's that disclaimer. For the religious folks who are very connected to a religious tradition, uh, as a disclaimer for you, this episode will not be a substitute for religious narratives. I will not be suggesting in any way, shape, or form that we should substitute the Christmas story with some type of artistic story. <laughs> Far from it. Um, but I am going to be talking about the ways that the Christmas story weirdly is relevant to our larger artistic stories. That the way that Jesus was born in the Bible has some really eerie connections to the ways that we make art. And I think it could be helpful to talk about it right now. And so so we've gotten these two disclaimers aside. (laughs) Here's a third one. Um, Part of the reason that I even feel remotely called to talk about art making through this lens is because of my upbringing. Um, Those of you that I guess have followed me through the last few years may know this, friends definitely know this, but I had this fascinating birth. I was birthed, (laughs) if you will, by a minister and a scientist. Um, My mom is a commissioned minister of education for the United Church of Christ in Cleveland, Ohio. My dad is, he works for a company doing safety testing for NASA also in Cleveland. Um, and it was a fascinating childhood, right? To be not just birthed, (laughs) but also raised by this very religious and scientific combination of parents. (laughs) Um, and that wasn't just me, both of my grandparents on my mom and dad's side kind of had this sort of 
artsy scientific thing going on my grandfather my grandfather my paternal grandfather was a mathematician he was a college professor in, in math my grandmother was a vocalist and a very talented musician and piano player my um, that was my maternal grandparents I'm sorry my paternal grandparents on my dad's side um, he was my grandfather was an engineer and my grandmother while she was a stay-at-home mom and didn't work uh in the formal sense, she was a hundred percent a crafter and a creator, <laughs> very, very artsy. Um, and so, so I, I was birthed from this really interesting mix and I wanted to talk about the way that birthing happens not just in the Christmas story, but also in our artistic stories. And, and especially in December. December is an artistic time. And I want to tell some stories about the ways that that functions. Because we don't typically think of winter as artistic at all. It, it's We're surrounded by cold and death. All the leaves are on the ground. Everything's barren. And we're all huddling inside. Um, very much hibernating, retreating within. Uh, I think most of us think of artistic creation as spring, right? Like that feel, spring feels very artistic. Um, but I want to talk about the ways that December is in a lot, is very much the beginning of the artistic process. The beginning of any birth <laughs> starts in December. And I think it's not a coincidence that the Christmas story also takes place in the winter because the winter is the beginning of any creation. And this is something that I've just started to recognize that when you are going to make something, we always think of the expression, right? We think of the ways that art comes out of us. The, the flowing outward is the way that we're used to thinking of making stuff. There's this thing inside, it comes out of me, and I put it into some type of physical format in some type of form that can be consumed by the five senses, whether it's through auditory music or physical clay or, you know, whatever. But there's this whole part of the artistic process that's almost never talked about, and I think it's to... Our detriment as creators, at least it was for me, and that is that before any expression, there has to be contraction. And that the the birthing cycle of contraction and pushing happens with artists too. And I don't know of a bigger contraction than December. <laughs> like everything in nature is contracting in December. Everything is going inward. There's this massive inward sort of tightening <laughs> um, that happens in December. And in that way, the very beginning of the artistic expression that will come in March and April starts now. And so I want to talk about what that even looks like. Um, and I'm going to use obviously an example from my life, but I think, and I'm hoping that as I explain the way that this 
birthing sort of cycle happens <laughs> in my life that you will understand the ways that it works in your life too because it is a fascinating cycle once you start noticing it um so I'm going to retell this story that I've told in earlier episodes of season one, but I feel like it's the best example that I can come up with for this cycle and the way that it works. And that is when I was getting ready to move to Austin. I've talked about this before I, in, in earlier episodes of season one. You can go back and listen if you want. Um, but the, the quick summary, the sort of gist of, of that time before I moved to Austin was that nothing was working. <laughs> That's sometimes what contraction feels like, by the way, right? Like if, if we're looking, I'm looking outside my window right now here in Austin, which is decidedly warmer than the rest of the country. And still there's no leaves on most of the trees outside my window. It's cold and rainy today. All of the animals are being quiet. We're, Jason and I are hunkered down inside. Um, you know, the, all of the, the life <laughs> and bustling that usually happens outside is not working right now. It's too cold, <laughs> you know? Nature almost appears to stop working during this time. And that was sort of the season of my life then. The thing that was inherently a problem though was that I didn't really get raised in a culture and I'm guessing most of you didn't either that explained that this is just how stuff works in life right like that we all go through these seasons where things stop working and it has to happen that way because before anything great can be birthed there has to be massive contraction and no one warned me of this and so between like the age of 27 to 30 I went through three years of massive contraction and I was terrified that I was fucking up my life. <laughs> um, and because nothing was going right. And the reason why nothing was going right is because when sort of, when nothing's going right, it's not necessarily a problem with with the things happening in your life as so much as your perspective. Um, and you can think about this in terms of birthing an actual human baby, right? All, so many of women's systems kind of stop when they're, when they're in labor. And that's by design supposed to happen, right? Like, all of a woman's energy is being funneled into this very important birthing thing that's about to happen. This massive contraction in all of her systems is occurring. And so anything that's not a part of the pushing <laughs> and the expressing kind of stops, right? The things that aren't going into the birth become, they fall off during a contraction phase. And so I didn't know that this was what was going on. It was really scary, but what was essentially happening was that my relationship, my my partner at the time, he fell off. My profession was starting to crumble. My health was starting to crumble. All of these things were falling off, and I was terrified that I was screwing up my life. But what was really happening, and what I wish someone had told me was happening, 
is that I was getting ready to birth something pretty huge in my life. And anything that wasn't in alignment with that was starting to fall off. Um, sounds really beautiful now. At the time, I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> it just felt like destruction. Um, and, you know, from 2007 to 2010, I was pretty scared that I was just messing it up. And then after all that stuff fell, fell off, you know, I kind of found myself in this position of feeling like, well, I don't really have anything here that excites me. So I guess I, feel, I just suddenly started to feel this urge to move. And it felt random at the time. <laughs> now I realize it's not random at all. That it was really intentional and, and by design without all of these things that had formerly been, been sort of tethers in my life in Ohio. I suddenly felt this urge to make something wildly different because I could move to Austin. And between 2010 and 2013, I was in a massive expression stage. And it and that's everyone's favorite stage, by the way. <laughs> right? The the actual making, um, while also extremely exhausting. <laughs> it you can like see the thing, you know, being made and that feels really good. It doesn't feel so mysterious, right? Contractions are mysterious. We don't totally know what their purpose is. <laughs> Expression, we see the physical fruits of our labor coming into existence. And that feels pretty awesome. And I was incredibly happy from 2010 to 2013. And, and I still didn't really get it, right? I was still too young. Um, I didn't have the context to realize that those three years were the end result of the first three years of contraction that this cycle is huge it's just how it works and to the extent that we suffer during the contraction phase is not all our choice but a lot our choice <laughs> um and because I was, and I've talked about this in earlier episodes, um, but I'm just going to touch upon it again here, because I wasn't aware of that spiral of creation, that artistic spiral that happens with everything, contraction, expression, contraction, expression. When I graduated from college in 2013, I expected to just continue expressing. Like I had, I felt like I had figured it out. And I think a huge part of this, I've figured it out. I'm going to be happily ever after comes from a lot of our stories and fairy tales that we tell kids, right? The story always ends during an expression phase, right? Like Cinderella meets the prince and that's the end. Happiness forever, <laughs> right? They don't talk about the ways that, you know, now... Prince Charming and Cinderella might have communication issues and have to go to counseling or, you know, whatever. I'm being facetious, but you get the idea. The story always ends in a creative phase. And we just assume that once we get into that creative phase that I've made the artwork, it was really beautiful and awesome. And that's the end. Everything's awesome till, till I die. <laughs> but 
that's not how it works. We, we funnel back into contraction again to make something new. And that process, some people feel terrified of their entire life. And I might have been like that if I hadn't met some really cool people and teachers here in Austin that taught me otherwise, that it is totally normal, totally normal. And the more normal I realize it is, the less I suffer and the less I'm scared. But 2013, I was not, I had none of this knowledge and I immediately started to enter another contraction phase and I freaked out. I was like, no, no, no. I thought I'd figured it out. I thought I was going to be happily ever after. I thought I'd reached that place in my life. And then all this contraction starts to build again. And I, and I feel like I'm failing all over and I'm miserable. (laughs) And I suffered quite a bit. Um, and then I don't, you know, I think everyone's, I suspect everyone's artistic cycles are different, but mine have been weirdly, they kind of come in these like two and three year chunks because then 2013 to 2016, I was in a major contraction phase. And then, and then all of a sudden this business just explodes forth. It just, I, I've been building it, building it. It suddenly starts to work. And I've likened it in the past to a snowball going down a mountain. Like I just, it just started to do its own thing. And I immediately found myself quitting my day job in 2016 to go full time into art making, not expecting to do that, not being sure if I could handle it. And then came forth this massive expression phase between 2016 and 2018, 19. Yeah. And It was during those three years that I met some pretty cool teachers and some of them were spiritual, some of them were not, but I learned a lot about the artistic cycle and it was so, excuse me, but so fucking comforting. You know, the F word belongs there. It was so fucking comforting because, you know, for the first three and a three decades of my life, I would sort of oscillate between terror and happiness <laughs> because and when things were in contraction, I was so scared I was messing it up. And then I would move out of contraction into expression and I was like, sweet, I'm doing life great. And then it would start all over. And it was, you know, really exhausting to feel those things. And so by the time I started to move into a contraction phase again at the beginning of the pandemic this year, I knew what to do. And I was thinking a little bit about that weirdly just this week. And the thing that really inspired me to talk about this in the episode is because I was thinking of how sad I was that I wasn't going to be able to go home for Christmas. And I think a lot of people are kind of facing that whether it's that they can't go home for Christmas or they can't see the same people that they normally see or partake in really meaningful rituals, whether it's commercial or otherwise, we all have these things that we do to make Christmas special, make the holidays special. Um, And I know I'm speaking of the Christian holiday more, but any religious holiday 
that happens now or anytime is irrelevant here. We all have rituals, um, whether we are spiritual or an atheist, <laughs> whatever. We have rituals that, that create meaningful experiences for us that we like to do them. And when we can't do them, makes us sad. And we experience, you know, that kind of thing all the time. But we're experiencing it in like multiple levels this year, right? Like there's so many ways that we're being prevented from partaking in those meaningful experiences right now. And it's creating, you know, understandably a lot of sadness for a lot of people. And I've been, I guess if I was being honest, I've been pretty good, you know, been pretty good about dealing with it. And then, you know, Jason and I had to make the decision if we were going to travel to see our families. Um, My parents are, you know, older, kind of immunocompromised. I don't, you know, I have a little niece and nephew. Um, I just, it didn't feel like a good time. So we decided to stay in Austin. And it didn't really hit me until the week before Thanksgiving. And do y'all know... (laughs) This is what was so crazy. I thought I would miss, like, if I was going to miss being at home, I thought it would be, you know, like my family or seeing certain friends or partaking in certain holiday dinners or traditions or whatever. And it wasn't any of those things. Weirdly, it was that I'm not going to be able to go to Christmas Eve church. (laughs) And that, and I'm, you know, that really surprised the heck out of me because I'm not religious really at, at all anymore. I was raised really religious, um, obviously, but I stopped going to church on a regular basis 20 years ago. Like when, as soon as I went into my undergrad, I stopped going. I don't read the Bible. I don't partake in any of the rituals connected to Christianity. Um, I don't, really identify with any of those particular narratives specifically. I, I think that they're really cool, but I also think Buddhism is cool and Hinduism and, you know, lots of spiritual traditions have really interesting stories and Jason's kind of the same way. And so we don't, <laughs> we don't go to church. And so it, it caught me by surprise that I was going to be really missing this. Like, and I, I kind of frantically looked up church services in Austin, hoping that I could find one that would be in person outside. Like maybe there was a church that would have a socially distant one outside. You know, the weather can be warm enough here to do that. And no, nothing. Everything's virtual. Um, and I, I was like, oh, I don't really want to do the virtual. So if I don't want to do the virtual, it's not about the religious stuff. It's about the community stuff. And why in the world am I sad about missing church community when I literally never partake in that any other time of the year? What is it about the Christmas story that I still want to experience? Like, And I choose to experience every year. I choose to sit in a pew with a hymnal in my lap and sing those songs and light the candle and say the prayers and hear the story of Jesus being born and Mary trying to find a place to do it and she can't find a place. And what is it about that particular story 
that makes me seek out a church every year, but not at Easter or not at, you know, any other time of the year. And it's because I'm an artist. And to me, there go the dogs. To me, the Christmas story is an art story. And I would never in a million years have thought of it that way. Except I was kind of like, you know, thinking about missing church and missing going home and having that ritual and kind of just reflecting on why. And I was driving to Lemon House here in Austin, my art studio, last week. And I had Spotify, like on a Christmas playlist or whatever, just cycling through songs as I was driving to the studio. And um, Mary, have you heard? Oh, Mary, have you heard? Isn't that, is that the name? See, this is how like I... (laughs) I literally wanted to do a podcast episode. Um, Mary, did you know? <laughs> Sorry, I'm like Googling it because I didn't think. Mary, did you know? <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> um, Mary, did you know is, it came on Spotify and the version that came on was by the Pentatonics who are a beautiful acapella group. I love their music. They're pretty popular right now. If you get a chance to listen to their version of it, it's pretty goosebump inducing. Mary, did you know is one of my favorite Christmas carols, but I never really thought about why. And I'm driving to Lemon House. The song comes on and I start to think about Mary, did you know, is talking directly to Mary, if you haven't heard the song. And they're saying, did you know that you're about to give birth to the the son of all creation who's going to save the world? <laughs> like, that's what they're saying to her. And I realized they're not just talking about Mary, right? They're talking to anyone who births anything. Did you know that what you make is going to save the world. Um, A lot of people don't think about this detail of the Christmas story too much, but I've thought about it a lot. Mary didn't get pregnant by having sex, right? She's like not to be cross about it or like um, sort of like, (laughs) I don't know, doctoral about it. Is doctoral the right word? No, but you know what I mean? Like, She's the Virgin Mary for a reason. She just becomes pregnant through through God. God made her pregnant. And what an interesting metaphor for birthing things that aren't a human, right? Like that there's so many things that we give birth to that aren't human. And men and women alike do this. And that when we give birth to something, whether it's art making or a business or human, whatever, when we do that, if it comes from our soul, if it's connected to, in this particular song, they're talking about God, but it doesn't have to be God. You don't have to be religious to understand the metaphor of the song. That God is, you know, the way that Christians talk about this unknowable, larger entity 
that is connected to all of us, right? But the word God has become so inflammatory for some people because of the way it's been co-opted and sort of distorted over the course of human history. (laughs) Um, But you could use the word source or you could use the word infinite or whatever. Even for those of you who are an atheist and don't believe that there's anything bigger, um, except what is here and now, even then there's something incredibly mystical about making stuff, right? The experience of bringing something forth into the world is a beautiful and unknowable thing even for people who don't identify with any spiritual tradition. And what the song is kind of saying is, when you make from that place, when you birth from that place, the thing that you make is going to save the world. That's badass. That's badass. (laughs) And... That idea of not knowing is so prescient in all of our lives, right? We all make stuff every day and we never really get to see the ways that it saves the world. Every once in a while we get to see it, most of the time we don't. And I think all of us are sort of chasing that feeling in in different ways, of course, but we're all kind of like hoping that we can experience sort of a legacy, you know, an idea of a, of a legacy and the pursuit of a legacy is something that goes back generations. And at the core of that idea, I think, is just this desire to see the ways that the things that we make affect the world beyond ourselves. And we don't always get to see that. Most of the time, we don't get to see that. And the song is talking about that. Did you know That the boy that you're about to birth is going to save the world. No, you don't. You don't know. Like, do you understand how divine this son of yours is? No, you probably don't. Um, Do we as artists have the same type of problem? Do we struggle to see how divine and powerful what we birth is? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty interesting, you know? And and then, and the, and then because this is the way my brain works, I'm like continuing to drive. And I remember years ago, I ran across this article and it was like, I actually re-looked it up before I recorded this episode. It was like seven amazing things that happened during labor I don't remember. So at some point, I I think everybody starts to like become victims of the algorithm, the creepy social media algorithm that starts to like, you know, predict what it might happen to you. And as soon as Jason and I got married, I started getting like weird baby article things popping up randomly in my, in my feeds when I would be online. So this one article comes up, of course, like what an interesting title. I click on it and it was really interesting. It was these sort of seven things that happen to women when they're giving birth that you don't typically hear about. And two of them really caught my eye. The first one is that 
the beginning of the labor process disproportionately starts at nighttime. That the beginning of the contractions, the beginning of the inward pushing, the inward pulling of the body, <laughs> the, prepa- the preparing that the body is beginning to go through for the pushing that's going to come later, disproportionately starts when it's dark out that so many women end up starting to have labor contractions at nighttime. And that's kind of cool because that's what happens when it's dark. There's something about the darkness that is perfect for the beginning of a transformation, for the beginning of something new. That when it's most dark and there's very little light, it's very natural to start the beginning stages of creation. And the beginning of stages of creation are contraction. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's relevant because we're in winter time. It's also relevant because we are in a very metaphorically dark time right now. I would venture to say that most people would agree that we are in a dark time in our country and in our planet right now. And while that sucks and while it's frustrating and not okay, it's also part of the creation cycle. Before something massively new happens, there's an equal and opposite contraction. And we're in one of those right now. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking about that part of the article. And then there's a second part of the article that really caught my attention. And for those of my female friends that have had a human baby, they're going to potentially know about this. I don't have kids, so I didn't know this was a thing. But apparently, um, women's bodies are wired to withstand long amounts of pushing and pain through the labor process. They're wired to withstand lots of contracting and then subsequently lots of pushing. But right before the baby is about to come out, most women experience something that in the medical field they call the wall, which is when she psychologically gives up. I I talked to my sister about this and she said it happened with both of her kids where she's like, I can't do it. Put the baby back. Like, which makes no sense to think that, right? Like there's no putting the baby back. It's going to happen. But in her brain, she was like, I can't do it. There's just no way. It's not going to happen. I give up. And that feeling tends to last for a pretty short period of time, but it's very despairing to experience because It's sort of like the rock bottom period (laughs) of the whole process. And then on the other end of that wall comes the final push. And all of the euphoria that is experienced with that creation experience, right? And I don't know about (laughs) y'all, but that, even as someone without my own physical birthing process to experience with a human... I really resonated with that because that's something that happens to me all the time, (laughs) Um, especially before something really big and new is coming. Um, I can't tell you how many times I almost quit my business right before something fucking amazing happened. (laughs) 
that that wall experience is part of the art process too. That when you hit the wall, it's because you've been in contraction for so long and then pushing for so long and you're just over it. And you're like, I don't think this is working. I got to give up. I want to give up. And then it suddenly happens. It's like a really beautiful thing. And also it's like I kind of mentioned earlier in this episode, it's not something that was ever explained to me by my parents or by my teachers or by artists that I knew that the wall is part of creating and making stuff as well. Um, Those of you that have listened to The Alchemist, or I'm sorry, not listened, well, maybe if you have an audiobook, but if you've read The Alchemist, um, Paulo Coelho, the, the writer of, of this sort of internationally renowned book, <laughs> um, if you haven't read it, you should check it out. He sort of uses this fiction story in The Alchemist to lay out this pattern or series of steps that he believes all people go through when they are trying to realize a dream. And at the end of the story, um, the last phase that happens before the dream is realized for everyone, according to him, is that you want to quit. And I think, I remember when I first wrapped my head around that idea, I thought, man, this would have saved me so much angst (laughs) as a younger person if when I hit the wall, I knew I was so close, right? Rest assured, the bigger the fear, the bigger the contraction, and the bigger your desire is to quit is usually a sign that you are about to make something really crazy awesome, (laughs) And that realization has transformed my life for the better. And it's really an interesting idea to think about when we are in the throes of contraction right now. It's cold. We are going into a holiday season that feels decidedly less merry. (laughs) We are experiencing levels of breakdown Um, socially, economically, culturally, climate-wise, globally. I mean, there's so many breakdowns happening that it can feel like we're failing massively. I, I really think that a lot of people are feeling that right now. And that's the most normal thing ever because we are raised in a culture and in a world that doesn't recognize the function of contraction. We just view it as breakdown and we view it as scary only. They, you know, breakdown and contraction is scary. It's not supposed to be comfortable. <laughs> There's, you know, it's, it would be really intellectually lazy of me to like get on this podcast and tell people to zen out during contraction it's the worst like it's really hard and scary and terrifying and scary and um there's really no way to avoid a lot of that but I think the fear and the the discomfort and the frustration doesn't go down quite as deep when you recognize that it's part of the deal that 
after massive contraction comes massive creation. And there's a lot of people, and I'm sure you you might be one of them. I know there's been phases of me being one of them. <laughs> and there's lots of people around us and our, maybe our family, our friend groups who just view what's happening right now as shit, right? Like that the pandemic is just shit. The racism is just shit. Our presidential situation in this country is just shit. Like, and that, and viewing it that way can create a lot of despair. It can. Um, and I think a huge part of the despair is that we're getting close to the wall. Um, I don't think we're there yet. (laughs) You know, what do I know? I'm just, I don't mean to put myself down when I say this, but I am just an artist speculating on a podcast episode to y'all. So take what resonates with you and leave the rest. If I had to guess, I don't think we're at the wall yet, but I think we're getting there. And I think that collectively we're starting to feel the despair that comes with realizing that our pushing and our contracting doesn't seem to be birthing anything better, right? That we're getting close to that feeling that women have when they have human babies, that artists have when they have art babies, (laughs) of the despair of this thing might just not ever come. Um, And I wanted to talk about that specifically um, as a reminder to y'all that I think we're at the beginning of that contraction phase. We're in the winter time. <laughs> and that we are wired just like women are wired to experience a long labor. We're wired to collectively. We are. And just like women don't typically go through the birthing process alone, although I'm sure there have been plenty <laughs> in history that have had to. Um the safest experience to go through that, the safest way to go through that process is with other people. And we're, we're really kind of experiencing that, I think, of having to lean on one another during what is probably the largest contraction that we've collectively experienced in many generations, you know? And it can, it can feel terrifying and it can feel comforting to remember that this is what happens before something awesome comes. And I really believe that. And if that is an idea that feels challenging for you, that's fine too. (laughs) Because I guarantee if you had gone back to 2007 Becca and told her this bullshit, she would have said, fuck off. (laughs) Like, um, That idea doesn't have to be one that is right for anybody but if it's right for you I wanted to I wanted to gift it you know if it gives you comfort I wanted to gift it that when things get really really contractive it's always because something really really crazy big is trying to be born and just like a human baby it's coming out <laughs> even if we think we can't do it um that that idea gives me tremendous comfort right now and it has given me a larger perspective for how to navigate some of my smaller frustrations with my work with my life with the media with the news all of that um yeah 
So, Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know that the things that you birth are going to save the world? And the most artistic time is when it's really dark. It's December. It's not just December on the calendar, right, y'all? It's December (laughs) in, like, lots of ways right now. And... And it doesn't, it doesn't mean, by the way, I'm just going to wrap up with this. It doesn't mean, by the way, that you have to go out and start some big freaking commercial capitalist idea of creation. You know, I think we're so indoctrinated sometimes to think that like if some chick in a podcast is talking about using a dark night of the soul to make stuff (laughs) like that we have to go out and like make some capitalist version of something um I'm guessing a lot of people feel exhausted just thinking about that and and as they should like I'm not suggesting that during this ridiculously hard time people do that I mean some people might want to do that some people might feel really called to do that um but and the thing that you might be birthing right now is wildly different, right? You might be figuring out how to get up and get dressed tomorrow morning. And that is a powerful thing to face right now when so many people are having a hard time doing that. And how can just that simple act serve other people later? You know, it's hard to say. It's hard to say when we're in the throes of contraction. It's hard to say when we're in the throes of the pressure phase. Um, Women who have human babies will say this all the time, that when they're in labor, they're not thinking about anything. (laughs) They're not like, how how am I going to, you know make stuff make stuff with this new baby of mine what are we gonna do together no they're like focusing on sweating (laughs) and breathing and pushing it very simple basic functions um is usually all we can muster in that phase and that those simple basic functions are like the most important thing you know what i mean And so if just getting up and feeding your face and putting on clothes and showering is all you can do, great. That's contraction. Like That's how it works before something big is about to come. And can we relax into that and accept it in a way that makes our suffering a little bit less, just like even 2% less, you know? I think that could be really comforting at least it is for me um to know and to take the pressure off to be doing some big elaborate thing with my life um that's not the season that we're in right now the season that we're in right now is how can I take care of breathing (laughs) how can I find rhythm in this massive contraction that we're in and and trust that we're going to get to be really cool artists with paintbrushes <laughs> metaphorical and literal later but right now it's just getting really 
quiet and getting ready to push. (laughs) You know? It's probably an imperfect description that I'm giving. And also, it's one that's been helping me a lot. And to the extent that maybe it helps you too. I really wanted to do the first episode of season two about this. So take what resonates with you, leave the rest. I think I've said that like half a dozen times in this episode because it's definitely much more up for interpretation than many of the episodes I've done. Um, And I think that's important, just like an artwork, just like a Christmas carol, just like a story from the Bible, everything is up for interpretation. The beauty comes from the interpretation. And, you know, I know there's lots of people that will say otherwise, that will say, no, there's only one way to interpret the Bible. There's only one way to interpret religion. There's only one way to interpret artwork. And I think most people, I'm guessing most people that listen to this podcast understand uh, the limit, the limited way of thinking that that is, um, that if you are open, um, art and story and songs <laughs> can be really, really helpful in how we interpret our lives going forward. And I think that's why I just love the Christmas story so much, even though I'm not like a practicing Christian, right? Um, so yeah, this was fun. I I felt a little rusty. I haven't talked to y'all in a long time. Hopefully I get back into it a little bit more, but I'm also excited because, um, next week I'm recording this in November. So by the time you hear it, it will be a few weeks out from recording, but um, next week, I'm sitting down with three different really cool people who are coming to talk about secret sauce and their authentic ways of making during this time as well, just in general. Um, and I'm excited to share them with you because Jordan from Growler and Domestics, um, Growler Domestics, sorry, um, and here in Austin, his interview a few episodes before the end of season one was by far the most downloaded episode for good reason. If you haven't checked it out, you should check it out. He's a great storyteller and he's really fun to listen to and he has really, really helpful information for makers. And I am very excited to continue inviting people like him. I think I'm pretty good at that, by the way. I don't, I guess you'll just have to kind of like take my word for it and see if I end up being, you know, the proof is in the pudding, of course, but I think I'm pretty good at picking interesting talkers. (laughs) So I'm excited for you to hear from some of the people that I've invited to Secret Sauce because they're pretty cool people. And I hope you all have, to the extent that you're able right now, um, I hope that you all can give yourself the comfort that you need during this early, early time of art making the most important time, the very beginning stages of making something. Um, Take care of yourselves. And I love you. Thank you for listening. Until next time.